the, uh, uh, you know, th- these mornings where, where you do the, the, great, the great time changeover, uh, now that my kids are sort of in their preteen and teen years, th- this is now the horrible one because you're dragging them out of bed and they're like, oh, I'm tired. And you're like, so am I. Get out of it. You've got to get them all over here. And so it was definitely one of those mornings where conflict was a standard part of our day this morning uh, just to get here to church, as I'm sure it was yours. But the truth is that conflict is really a part of every single day in my house uh, because there are 10 human beings in our house, all of them born with a sin nature, all in the process of being redeemed uh, and sanctified. And so unfortunately, that is a process. Uh, Otherwise, that would have been nice if I could flip a switch. So in my house, there are regular interactions uh, in which I have to engage in conflict. Usually it goes this way. Uh, I get home, uh, do a, a number of things, manage some stuff, and then you know that moment where everything in the house is relatively quiet, and so I sit down on the couch downstairs, and I'm just going to take a few minutes to decompress and, and, and ch- check a little Facebook or do a little something, just maybe even just sit, right? And then uh, right upstairs above our living room is where the main play area is upstairs. If they're going to wrestle, that's where it's going to happen, and so the noise starts escalating up there, and, and there's that thought it's almost uh, what the Bible would call an anxious thought, right? There's that thought that rises and goes, oh, come on, let it be a game. Please don't escalate, because I just sat down. I mean, I just sat down, and then it starts escalating and escalating, and the noise, and you just, you're hopeful that whatever's happening up there is either a game or that they will work through it themselves. Why do I believe that? Why? And so I sit there, and then it, and then it happens, right? It happens. I hear feet running, and then coming down those stairs, and I'm like, oh, and inevitably, if there wasn't already a giant crash, what that means is that there's a kid that was upstairs, not involved in the conflict, and they have perceived that the conflict is escalating, and they figure I don't know that. And so they're coming to get me. They're coming to say, you better get upstairs because it's going to go badly if you don't, right? And so they've apparently tried, stop, you shouldn't do that. And they found out their authority is not playing out well. And so they've come to get me. And that's when I go, all right, and I get off the couch, and there is no calm, quiet, collected walk up the stairs. I now go as quickly as I can, and I'm coming into it a little mad, right? I mean, I'm already a little mad. And so I come in, and I'm like, what is going on here? And then immediately, he, he, said, he hit me. Well, she said that to me. Well, she punched me first. Well, I kicked her, and the, I mean, she kicked me, and, 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 and then I just go, stop. Stop, you go to your room, you go to your room, I will be with you in a second. And then I go to the first kid. And then you have the room talk. You know the room talk, right? You go in the room, you sit down, it is discipline time. And what do you do when you go in the room? Well, here's how I sequence it out. I go in, I sit down. First things I gotta clarify. All right, why are we here? Why are we here? And usually it starts with, well, well, because she, no, 
No, because you. Start with because you. Okay, because you made foolish decisions. And then we sequence through the foolish decisions, right? When that happened, you should have done this, not that. When then that happened, you should have done this, not that. What does the Bible say? This, not that. You know, you think about them, not, and so you sequence through. And then you did this, and then that happened, and this is the wiser way. And then when you're done working through that, then everything settles down a little bit, right? And you realize you're being all legalistic, which you need to be because these are, are behaviors, but you don't want this to be about legalism. And so you say, look, here's the deal. Why am I telling you all of this? Because we are invited to love our brothers and sisters for the sake of Christ. This is how it works. And then we talk about love and the importance of love and how when there is no love, there is death and destruction and, and strife and malice and envy envy and jealousy and I'm going to get the whole list down and then when there is love then there's love and well that's the first one then there's joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and and gentleness and self-control so I'm like you see you see this is why God says love and then we come back to the gospel we love because we were first loved remember you are actually rescued and you actually have a living soul now use it and so we talk about that and like the, the gospel matters and, and how we are deeply loved. And then when I'm done with the gospel, right, then I usually sequence into look. You know why I'm doing this, right? I do this because I love you. I do this because I care about your future. I do this because it matters to the future and it matters to the here and now. I do this because of that and then what do you do? You're like, you're, you're loved. Remember, God loves you, and I love you, even though you were a jerk. And, 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 and then, and then uh, we head out of the room. But, but in that sequence, right before I do the you're loved and I love you part, there's usually this one little piece I throw in where I'm like, okay, we're going to leave the room now. What needs to happen, right? What needs to happen? Well, you need to go and apologize to your sibling that you punched in the face. That, that needs to happen. And then after you've apologized, you need to decide not to do that again. And then you probably need to apologize to the other sibling or to run down the stairs to come get me. See, there's a sequence of things we do. It's not complicated. And that piece, I try to keep it super simple because it needs to be super simple. Just go back out there and just do this. That's not the litany of stuff. That's not, and then you do this. Just, just do, apologize and don't do that anymore. And, and then we'll be okay. Paul... Uh, is in Ephesus, right? So we've been traveling through the book of Acts. And, and we, we found Paul in Ephesus because he has entered his third church planting journey, his third missionary journey. And, and he's been on two already, and on the second one, he traveled across the Aegean Sea down Macedonia into Corinth, and in Corinth, which was a society that was uh, very similar to the kinds of places in, in our culture that are pleasure-based and, and transitional. So the Vegases of our world, where you, you're coming through town, so what happens there doesn't matter, and it's basically based on a world of opportunity and pleasure and, and take what you can. The gospel invades that city and many come to know Jesus and a church is established the church of Corinth and Paul remains in Corinth for a long period of time years as far as we understand it uh, where he disciples this church uh, he is now in Ephesus on his third journey 
and three guys traveled from Corinth to Ephesus to come and grab Paul and give him a letter from the church in Corinth because the leadership in the church in Corinth was struggling because the church was behaving in a manner that didn't seem to align with what Paul had discipled and with the gospel. So the leadership was writing Paul saying, we got a couple problems, no big deal. Just a quick little, hey, how does this work and how do you do that? Except that the three guys that brought the letter were part of the leadership and they were smart. So they kind of brought the letter and said, here's a letter. It's going to seem nice, but it's not nice. There's some other things going on as well that are not in the letter. Honestly, Paul, it's a giant mess. you got to get to Corinth. If you don't get there, it's going to escalate and implode and it's going to go badly. So these three come running to Paul down the stairs the letter and they're like it's gonna go badly you gotta come you gotta come so Paul we find out and you'll see in a minute why Paul though he would have loved to jump up and run to Corinth couldn't go because in Ephesus there were some tremendous open doors there some opportunities there for Paul to be uh, ministering the gospel to the people there and there were some adversaries in Ephesus that were battling against that so Paul knew if he left Ephesus that all the work he had done there up to this point would be would be lost and so he's like I, I gotta hang here I'm, I'm not coming to Corinth right now and so he writes a letter to them to send back with the boys Take this letter back and tell them it's kind of me, my first effort always, right? Go back upstairs and tell them if they don't stop, I'm coming, right? Never works. It never works. But it's a, it's a, it's a good like run, you know? And so Paul sends this letter back. In this letter, what does Paul do? He starts out going, why are we in this room, right? Look, you, you, I, I love you. Uh, dear Corinthian brothers, uh, buckle up because we got some stuff to talk about. And then he enters into this letter in the litany of behaviors that they are functioning in that are dysfunctional. Okay, so he's got them in the room now, and he's going, "You guys, you, you can't do this, and you do, and when you did that, that was wrong, and why why no? And this is remember what the Bible says. Come on, I mean, how can you? This is what Paul's doing, right? So he's frustrated. You can tell it, but he's just writing out as he's reading the letter from Corinth and listening to these three men saying, and then this, and then this, and he's like, oh my goodness. And so you remember we've gone through it, right? I mean, he's dealt with factions in the church. God's wisdom versus man's wisdom. He's touched on being judgmental instead of loving. He talked about leadership and the dysfunctions in leadership, the disputes in the church that had led to lawsuits among them. They were behaving so badly. There was even sexual immorality within the church constantly, both in the marital relationships and in the, those who were single. So he not only had to deal with that, but he also had to deal with what marriage actually was and what it means to be single and how both those lives are extraordinary opportunities opportunities in which we represent and display the gospel and so he dealt with that he dealt with the reality of laying ourselves down for the gospel instead of for our own rights he dealt with the issues of temptation he dealt with the issues of being helpful versus hurtful because they were being hurtful he even dealt with the lord's supper because that was a giant mess and he's like this is how it works not like that why are you doing this so he dealt with that he dealt with spiritual gifts because they were a disaster so he's working through those and he dealt with specific gifts that were being used to elevate individuals instead of build up the church. And in the middle of the spiritual gifts, that's when he stopped. Remember chapter 13? And he went, look, look, look. This is about love. This is about love. 
He, he stepped into that little speech you do where you're like, this is not about all the behaviors. This is not about legalism. It's about love. If you don't have love, but you can prophesy and you can move mountains, what good is it? It's a sounding gong. It's a useless exercise. So Paul beautifully says, this isn't legalistic. This is about loving, but these behaviors are either loving or not, and they are not. And so you can't punch your brother and say, I love you. It doesn't work that way. So you can't sit at the table of communion as a wealthy person, eliminate the, those who are not wealthy, get drunk on the wine and say, well, I love you. See, it doesn't work that way. So Paul goes, this is all about love. And then what does he do in chapter 15? Right before chapter 16, the closing, he, he hits the crescendo, right? And he goes, guys, why? Why am I writing this letter? Why am I going through all this? Why are we dealing with all of this? Because Jesus came, because he lived, because he died, because he rose from the dead to, to rescue our souls, to redeem our future, to restore our purpose. We are new creations in Christ. The old is gone. How could we not live this way? See, Paul brings it back to the gospel. And he says, this is about the gospel. This is about what we know of Christ. And if we know that, how could we live this way? And so he brings it back to the gospel. And then at the end of chapter 15, he writes that beautiful section on the resurrection. You don't think we're going to get resurrected? Are you crazy? If we don't get resurrected, Christ is not resurrected. Then we're all dead in our sin. What's the point? And so he talks about our resurrection and our future and he lays it on the table and it's like the great crescendo of the, of the letter. And you're like, whoa! And then there's chapter 16. And you're like, what do you do with chapter 16? I mean, chapter 16 is super weird. Take a look. So I mean, there it is. I mean, we're done. We're done with the first Corinthians. Why don't we just stop? But no, there's chapter 16. And this is how chapter 16 starts, right? The resurrection! Now, uh, concerning the collection of the saints... As I directed the churches in Galatia, so you also are to do on the first day of every week. Each of you should put something aside and store it up that I may, uh, as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will say, see what I'm saying? You're like, I don't even understand. Like, Paul, just stop at 15, man. You, you had me at resurrection. I, 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 don't, I don't need this, this 16. 16 just seems like a, a little instructional deal, but listen. When we first started working through this, I remember when we started working through 1 Corinthians months ago, we got to 16 and we're like, let's just do a summary of the book. I mean, there's nothing in 16. How wrong we could have, we could, we could have I mean, nothing in 16? There's not a word of this thing that God didn't put in here with deep intent, and 16 is rich with wonder. In fact, its most beautiful wonder in chapter 16 is its simplicity. It is the simplest chapter, but it is the only way you can ever end a talk this firm. It is the way all of us want to do it in the bedroom with our kids going, okay, let's regroup. So let's take a look, right? Where does Paul start coming right out of the gospel and the resurrection? He starts here. Chapter 16, verse 1, page 665 of the Bibles that we provide if you're using that. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you are to do also. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So he launches into the closing chapter of this letter with this. 
I want you on a weekly basis as you gather to be generous with your resources so that we can expand the gospel in the churches all over the known world. And it's gonna start in Jerusalem where the church of Jerusalem is distributing the realities of all that we have to the churches and utilizing them in one of the most persecuted areas at that time. See, what Paul begins in this chapter is this. It's almost like the perfect little launch. He goes like this. Man, considering the gospel and your resurrection, how generous is God? I mean, how generous is God? Wow, we were dead and he made us alive. We were lost in the future and he gave us a future. We were purposeless and he restored our purpose. How awesome is he? And he did it by his grace alone. And then he says this. So, we ought to be generous, don't you think? I mean, that's where it starts. See, this entire thing starts here in this simplicity. When you leave the lecture in the bedroom, start with some generosity. Be generous with your lives. Be generous with your resources. Be generous with everything you have because he has been more than generous to you. And it is out of generosity that a lot of the horrid realities that are ours in nature die. You know, you know that? When you're being generous, and generous is not just an action, it's an attitude, right? If you're like, here, take it, I have to be generous. That's not generosity. It's not generosity. I'm glad you're giving it, but it's not generous. That's why God says, I don't even want your money if you're not gonna give it out of worship and joy. Don't even, because I'm not interested in your stuff. I'm interested in your generosity. I'm interested in your heart because it is out of generosity that we begin to find the spark that begins to say, it's not about me. It's not about me collecting, holding, keeping, being safe. It's about what I get to be and what I get to do because he is enough for me already. And so that's where it begins. Paul says, regularly take up the offering, store some of it so that we're not just trying to fund ourselves, but we are making a difference in the world and helping the church move forward as it ought because we're part of a bigger story. And so there he starts. God is generous. How should we be? Generous, generous. Now look, look at this. Verse uh, five. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia for I intend to pass through Macedonia and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for the wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. See what he's doing? This little closing, he's saying to the guys, I'm so sorry I had to send a letter. Okay, that's what he's saying. I'm sorry it has to be a letter. Do you want to send a letter like this to a group of people? It's like he's saying, look, I know this was big stuff. I know it's hard to hear. I would have loved to come in person, but I didn't because in Ephesus, there's some stuff going on that's preventing me. See, Paul's heart in describing this to the church of Corinth is to say, I didn't send a letter because I didn't want to come. You understand? Because it could feel that way, couldn't it? You know what? You are, you are so foolish, I'm not even going to bother to make the trip. I'm just going to write it in a letter, send it back with the boys, read the letter. I don't even like you, right? That's what it could have felt like, right? But here's what Paul's doing. Do you see what he's doing here? This is the closing of the lecture, and he's going like this. Look, I know this is hard to hear. 
I know it is. I know what you just heard because this letter was going to be read in front of the church, right? This is chapter 16 now. So they've just heard all the other stuff instantaneously. You're horrid at this. You're horrid at that. You're really horrid at this. I really wanted to come. I really did. I really did, but, but I can't right now because I'm in Ephesus. But listen, I'm coming soon. And when I come, guess what? I'm going to spend the whole winter. I really am because I don't just want to pass by. Guys, I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at you. I'm just, I'm, I'm disappointed and, and I want what's best for you. So I'm coming soon. Just hang in there. Read the letter. Don't get mad. Don't think I'm mad. Read the letter. Start working on it. By the way, little side note, I am coming. So what does that mean? Once you read the letter, if you keep behaving like fools, I'll be there in the winter. It's not going to go well. So please, get on it. Okay, you see that? You see how beautiful this is? Paul's just sitting on the bed going, hey, I love you, and we're going to be okay. This is hard stuff, but we're going to be okay. Now look, now look at this. I love this. <clears throat> okay, verse 10. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Sort of an odd little paragraph, isn't it? I mean, hey, when Timothy comes, don't hate him. Don't hate him. Be nice to him and send him back to me. Why would Paul do that? I'll tell you exactly why. What is Timothy carrying with him? A letter. What's in the letter? Well, we just traveled through it. It's 1 Corinthians. Do you think they're going to like Timothy? No. Timothy comes in. Hey, I'm a messenger from Paul. Wow, thank you. I'm going to read a letter to you now. You fools, what are you doing? Let's go through the litany of bad behaviors. What are you going to do? Are you going to go, oh, thank you, Timothy. Wow, that you traveled all this way to come tell us that we're horrid. It's so beautiful. No, you're going to be mad at Timothy because Paul's not there and he brought it to you. You know, this is that little part where right before they leave the room, I always do this. I go, now listen, you can't be mad at the sibling that came down the stairs because they always are, aren't they? They walk out the room like, you told on me. Like, that's what got them in trouble. I'm like, no, you behaved badly. That's what got you in trouble. Them telling on you is an act of love when you're behaving this badly. Now, when you have tattletales in your home that just like the attention of telling on others, well, you gotta get a handle on that. But, but, but when they actually come because they're like, legit dad, they're gonna kill each other, they actually love you. They do not want you to die, and they're bringing me in. And these, these guys, as they're heading back, Timothy's coming with a letter because Paul couldn't leave Ephesus, and he's going, listen, you treat Timothy well. You, 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 you don't get on his case. You don't despise him. And then he adds that little sentence, I'm expecting him home. You understand? <laughs> I mean, isn't it beautiful? Like, it's all in there. He's like, I want him back with the brothers. If he, if he doesn't come back, I'll know. I'll, I'll know he's... He's, he's buried in Corinth somewhere, and that's not going to go well for you. See, so he's like, I'm sending him. I want him back without bruises, and while he's there, you treat him well because I'm coming in the winter. And so it makes perfect sense. If I was sending this letter, I would also say don't kill the messenger because the messenger is not me. If you want to be mad at someone, talk to me in the winter. Now look at this. <clears throat> now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit uh, with you uh, um, vi to visit you with the other brothers. But it was not at all his will to come now. 
he will come when he has opportunity. Now, now, now watch what Paul's doing, right? Because if we understand what Paul's doing, this becomes one of the most beautiful passages in this book because it is Paul's heart laid on a table. Here's what he's doing. I'm still sorry I'm sending a letter, okay? This is a harsh letter, so he's going, look, look, I tried to come, but I can't, because I'm in Ephesus, and there's stuff going on. I even got a hold of Apollos, and I asked him to go, because Apollos was the other leader in Corinth, remember? Remember in the factions, they were like, I follow Apollos, well, I follow Paul, well, I follow Jesus, whoop-de-doo, you're spiritual, and so Paul was like, none of you are spiritual, right? And so, what, what did Paul do? He contacted Apollos before he sent the letter, and he said to Apollos, would you head down to Corinth and go see what's going on there. And Apollos sent word back saying, I don't want to go. I mean, that's what it says, right? I'm not going to, I'm not going to Corinth. Have you, it's a giant mess. Paul, you handle this. Now, we don't know whether Apollos actually also had a bunch going on or whether he was just wise enough to say, no, don't send me. See, that's when the stuff's escalated enough where you say to the older kid in the, in the family, would you go up and see? No, dad, I think you need to go on this one. Really, it's, listen to it, it's not good. And so Apollos, he said, look, I asked Apollos to come and, and he, didn't, he didn't want to come. Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't elaborate, which is cluing us in, right? He goes, he had no will <laughs> to, to come, <clears throat> but he will come when he has opportunity. See, Paul, but he doesn't hate you. He doesn't hate you. He's, he'll come when he has a chance, don't worry, don't worry. And now look, now, now look. Now that he's unpacked, here's why I, I couldn't come Here's why I'm sending Timothy, don't kill him. Uh, Here's why Apollos couldn't come either. Uh, Remember, generosity is just kind of the immediate outcome of the generosity of Jesus. Now he sums the letter up right here in a single sentence. This is the whole book of 1 Corinthians as he says to the church in Corinth, when you leave this room, here's what I want you to do. This is where I tell my kids, go out, apologize to brother one, sister two, and probably mom just because you could always apologize to mom because you owe her. Okay. Take a look at this. If you, if you forget everything else, don't forget this. Here it is. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. That's it, folks. That is the entire thing right there. Let me read it again. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. And that is his conclusion. It's not complicated. You see, that's why I love this chapter. Because he's like, you don't have to remember how, the, how this works and the spiritual gifting. You don't have to go podcast all 26 messages every week. Just, just do this. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men and be strong. And do everything out of love. Now, why does he say act like men? Because some of you are like, ah, there's Paul again. You know, Be a man. Well, I'm a woman. I can't be a man. Like, no, no, no. He's not saying be a man in that sense. This is a fascinating word that he uses here because the Greek word used here was used in the, in the Septuagint. Now, if you don't know what the Septuagint is, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So here's what happened. The Old Testament's written in Hebrew, right? And so then what they did is they translated the Old Testament into Greek because the whole world had changed and become a Greek-speaking world in the Roman Empire and beyond. So they translated it into Greek, right? And so there's certain Hebrew words that they then translated with the Greek word. Now listen to this. This is super cool. 
In the Old Testament, every single time they used the Hebrew word that translated be strong and courageous for the Lord is with you, they chose to use a Greek word to put in there to say be strong and courageous for the Lord is with you. And the Greek word they chose to use is the same Greek word Paul uses here. Because it was a military society, and so what they would say is whenever in the Hebrew they wanted to say, God is with you, your commander gets it, be strong and courageous, be brave, they would use a military term. And the military term in the Greek translated this way, act like men, meaning be courageous, be brave, because God is with you. So you remember in Joshua chapter one, where he said, be strong and courageous, I will say it again, be strong and courageous, for I am with you. Be strong and courageous. There's, there's that Greek word, that Greek word, that Greek word. So here's what Paul is actually literally saying. Here's the, here's the summary. When you leave here, folks, when I leave here, here's how we live, right here, here's how we live. Now that we've read 1 Corinthians, be watchful, be vigilant, stand firm in the faith, be strong and courageous for the Lord is with you. I'll say it again, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. You see what he's saying? So here's literally what he's saying. When you head out there, be like watchmen at the gates. Listen, the enemy is after us. If, if we don't believe that, we, we haven't read this thing, right? He does not rest and he does not sleep. And he, he is after us. The, Peter writes later on and says the enemy walks around like a roaring lion waiting to find someone to devour. So we, we must be vigilant and watchful. If you are at war, then it starts by being what? Watchful and vigilant, awake. If you sleep at the gates, don't even worry about being strong and courageous because you'll be dead. You see what he's saying? If you're asleep at the gate, you're gonna be run over and you won't need to be strong and courageous because you'll be killed in your sleep. But if you are vigilant and watchful, and you stand in the faith, when the enemy comes, you think you're just gonna go, oh look, they're little. No, they're gonna be giants. And then you're gonna wanna run to the bathroom. See, that's how it's gonna work. You're gonna go, oh, and run. And then you're gonna try to hide, and he's gonna, no, no, listen, stop. When you're watchful, that's great. Stand in the faith, that's great. But when the time comes to step up, to what you're being called to, even though the relationship is really rough and you wanna bail or you wanna, you wanna quit on the person or you, you just don't know anymore or, you, or you've had it or, or you're done. Or, I mean, all the words we use, right? The resources have been diminished for too long of a time, lost the house, lost the stuff. What more can you take from me, right? I mean, we've all been there. When you come to the end of what you thought you could do and you've been watchful and the enemy's been hitting and hitting and hitting, he goes, listen, listen. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous for the Lord is with you. Be strong. See, God has to tell us that all the time. You know why? Because this planet is crazy. It is full of death and destruction all around us. And we are called into the death and destruction of this world to be salt and light. Did you think that was gonna be easy? Did you think that was gonna be a cakewalk? Do you think that was gonna come without fear and trepidation? Do you think David just walked out on the old field and oh, look at that, cakewalk. Don't you think David was dead scared too when he faced Goliath? Or the hundreds of other men and women in the Bible that faced impossible realities 
Don't you think they were scared? Yes. But they were also strong and courageous. I, I, I always love that courage is not the lack of fear. Courage is doing what's right despite fear. So what he's saying is, listen, be watchful, be vigilant. Don't fall asleep at the wheel. And when you see what the enemy's doing, then stand up. Be strong and courageous. Get in the game. And here's how you do it. Ready? Whatever you do, do it for love and it'll be okay. See what he's saying? Just love well. And love, how do we define love? Well, read 1 Corinthians, right? They do it for you there beautifully. And now look what he says. Now look what he says. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. Who the heck is Stephanus and why are we talking about him? And why is he saying he was one of the first converts and he served you well, keep following him. You're like, what, Paul, why? Well, the, the next sentence actually tells us, look, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Acacius. So, so look, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Acacius came to Ephesus. Why? They carried the letter. They shared the bad stuff. So he's sending them back with Timothy and they're gonna be hated. You told Paul about the communion table? Yes, I told Paul about the communion table. You told Paul about the sexual immorality? You didn't put it in the letter. So yes, I had to tell him about it. You did not tell him about the lawsuits. I did tell him about the lawsuits. I told him everything. You jerk. We were trying to like, hey Paul, we're okay. We're not okay. That's why I told him. See, so he's saying, look, when Stephanus came to me and he he told me all this stuff, he did it because he loves you. Don't you remember? His family was the first to convert in Corinth. He has traveled with Jesus for as long as anyone in Corinth has. He has served among you as a leader and an elder. And he has come to me now with these other two guys that are also elders and they together love you and they have come so that I could write you and we could see some change in this. So when they return, do not forget who they are. See, this is like a parent prepping the child not to act foolishly as they walk out the door. I'm gonna get you back. For what? You told on me. And then, you know, have you heard that in your house? I'm right behind them. I'm like, okay, that's it. Back in the room. We're going through the gospel again, this time three times. Because vengeance wasn't on the list of do all things through love. Because remember, listen, I want you to remember this. We've been studying Corinth, I mean, 1 Corinthians for months now, right? Slowly taking each piece in, feeling a little conviction, going home, encouraged, coming back. They get to hear the whole letter one shot, and they are the recipients of the letter in a different way than we are. They are actually doing this stuff badly, right? So you have to understand, Paul's prepping them. When you hear this letter, it's gonna be hard. This is, this is Stephanus or Timothy at the end in church. They just passed chapter 15 about the gospel. Everyone's glaring at them, and they're like, don't hurt Timothy, don't hurt Timothy. Stephanus loves you. And, and he's a good guy, and he was here with Jesus, 
and, and, and so are fortuitous, and, and, and so is Acacius, so be nice to them. Let me read that again. Timothy, see, do you see why chapter 16 is so beautiful? Because to the reader of the letter, chapter 16 is the crescendo, not chapter 15. Chapter 16 is like, now that you've heard 15, here's how it comes down. Here's how we live it out. And look what he says here. Because they have made up for your absence, if, uh, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours, give recognition to such people. Do you see what he's saying? These three guys, when they came, they refreshed my spirit. You would think that they would have crushed Paul's spirit because they brought such bad news, but Paul goes, no, in your absence they were refreshing, and they also refreshed your spirit, P.S. They shared many great things about you guys and some hard stuff, and now I'm getting to write a letter, and I'm gonna come for the winter because we do not want to live in bondage. We do not want to live in bondage. And then look at this. I love this. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, who is, who is actually Priscilla, together with the church in their house, send you heartily greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Look what he's doing. He's saying everybody loves you, man. Everybody loves you. When I, when I pray at night with my kids, uh, I often close my prayer this way. God, help them to know how much you love them and how much mom and I love them and how much they are loved, right? Because we need to know that we're loved. And so Paul's saying, listen, we got this harsh news from you. Yes, Aquila and Priscilla, I talked with them about it, but here's what they're doing in response. They're sending you their heartily greetings. Man, we miss you guys. We love you guys. You're acting foolish. Just stop. See, it's just, it's, I mean, I love you. This is me sitting on the bed saying, now who loves you? You do. Let, let's try to say that with a little more vigor. Who loves you? You do. But that's right, I do. That's why we're here on this bed. That's why we're here, because I care about your future. Paul's saying, everybody here loves you. Everybody here loves you. Everybody, all the churches in Asia. And then he says this. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I love this. Uh, we're not going to do that right now. That's our discipline for today. Um, but no, I'm kidding. Um, but here's the deal. Uh, this was essentially what we would consider a hug. When you walk in the lobby and you see someone you haven't for a while and you just give them a big hug and you're like, yeah, that's perfectly appropriate in our cultural context. We don't all go, you did not just walk up and, and, and kiss that man, did you? Well, well, no, you see, that would be weird in our culture. In their culture, this was like a hug. So here's what he's saying. It's beautiful, right? It's exactly what I do with my kids when we're done in the room. We go out, I call the other kid. Now I've talked to both of them. Come here. All right, fist pumps. All right, now you know what comes next. Huggity hugs, come on. We're gonna hug him. Yes, you are. Why? Because it matters. Because there's something about saying, look, we're gonna make this right emotionally, spiritually, physically. We're gonna make this right. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna hug. We're gonna say it's okay. And the hugs are usually like, <laughs> but there is something about that. And here's what Paul's saying. Guys, everybody loves you. Everybody sends their greeting. Now that you've read the letter, we're done, right? Don't be mad at each other. Don't be looking over going, it was, it was your, you made me do it. Just walk over, give him a hug, and say, hey, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry for the way I've been acting. I don't want to live that way. I know you don't. And So we're going to stop it, and we're going to start living this way. We're going to be watchful and vigilant and stand firm in the faith and be strong and courageous and, and do things out of love. That's what he's saying. And then look at this. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone 
has no love for the Lord, let him be cursed. I love that he threw that in there. He's just like, and if, you, if you're gonna run from this and ignore Jesus, well then you're on your own. I love it. Paul just can't get, get, get away without throwing that in there. And then, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. There it is. Who loves you? You do, Paul. Say it again. You, Paul. That's right. I love you. That's why I wrote this letter. I love you. So what's Paul leaving us with? What's God leaving us with at the end of a very long and very detailed letter about lots of things? Here it is. Christ has been more than generous to you, more than you will ever know or imagine, so be generous with your life. In view of God's mercy, present yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Be generous, be watchful and vigilant at the gates. Stand firm in the faith when you want to bail. Be strong and courageous. Enter the battle on behalf of those around you, even when it's hard. And do everything out of love, because Christ has loved you. And by the way, you are loved. Amen. Let's pray. God, Wow, thanks for this letter. Thanks for including it in the scriptures for us thousands of years later to glean so much from. Thank you for the simplicity of chapter 16 and the beauty of simply sending us out with these simple words. Thank you that they are born out of chapter 15, the beauty and crescendo of the gospel. And thank you that you have taught us so much on the road through this letter. We are so grateful that you are using us and our lives to participate in your red redemptive story and that you have saved our souls and redeemed our future. We are overwhelmed. Be strong in us so that we might be strong for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.